Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst, and I'm one of the pastors at Life Church. I'm also one of the, or the only host, I guess, right now for this podcast. And thank you so much for joining us and listening in. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, mostly with uh, Pastor Daniel and Pastor Nathan through Table Talk Thursday. And these have been a really enjoyable opportunity for us to get together and talk a little bit more in depth about some theological uh, topics as well as some current events. And so I hope you've been enjoying that. Uh, Daniel will also uh, usually say this in the show, but if you have any questions or things that you're uh, wanting to hear about, things that you're curious about, maybe something that you came across in your Bible that you're not quite sure you understand, uh, let us know. And uh, and we'd like to include it into the show at some point. I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. And then I always like to invite you to share it with somebody who uh, might be impacted by this content or maybe a sermon. Um, That's always helpful as well. And lastly, uh, I want to ask you to prayerfully consider contributing to the work of Life Church. Uh, I consider it an honor to be part of this work and to do the the kingdom work that God has called us to. So thank you for uh, checking that out as well. So now here's Cable Talk Thursday. Well, welcome everybody to Table Talk Thursdays. I am excited to be with you. I am Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church Canton. Uh, so, whether you are watching us on Facebook Live or on the podcast, we're excited that you can join us. I'm here, of course, with uh, Pastor Nathan, usually also joined with Pastor Jared, but he is on a little bit of a sabbatical or vacation. Um, so, we hope is it vacation or is it? It's vacation. Yeah. Vacation. Okay, good. Um, and he is, I hope he's having a great time with family and friends. Uh, just a reminder that we go live on Facebook uh, every Thursday at 12 noon, at least for now. Um, and all questions are welcome. Uh, of course, theological questions, church questions, any logical, theological, ecclesiological, whatever logical questions you may have. We are here to um, engage those questions um, and also to provide you with resources for those questions. You can ask questions even about the most recent sermon. And so if there's something you heard in a sermon at Life Church, um, which if you're listening on a podcast, you can check out our website. Um, those questions, any, any sermon questions, you can ask them live here, or you can send them in preferably by Tuesday evening so that I can put it on the queue for the upcoming uh, show. Any other questions uh, about life in general are welcome. Uh, and you can also even ask live questions or follow-up questions. So we'll be checking Facebook periodically to see what you're saying, any comments you may want to share. Always helpful to have some engagement because this is about us um, engaging each other and engaging God's work. Well, usually we just check in. And so let's check in. Pastor Nathan, how are you doing? How's life? What's going on in your world? Well, I'm doing all right. Uh, I think we talked about it a little last week, but I've been enjoying turning our attention to reopening and um just the plans that we're going to bring about. We're trying to follow the proper lines of communication, but getting ready to reopen in September. Um, I know that now we can say September, it's most likely happening. Although we got to, we got to take it through a couple uh, different, you know, rounds of leadership conversation. We're going to do it the right way. And I think that's exciting, but I know a lot of people want to come back and see it. So we're going to do that to the best of our ability, feeling energized after yesterday, yesterday's felt on Monday while I was praying, just felt, um, God say, hey, let's let's pray together as a community. So on August, we are going to be doing an hour of prayer on Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. And actually, you could check out yesterday's and you could 
experience it just the way you are. So you don't have to be there at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays. In fact, a lot of people have been tuning in. Um, it's a guided time of prayer, um, a time where I lead you through just some things I've learned as I've prayed for an hour every single day for about three years now. Um, it's a discipline that helps position us to encounter Jesus. And so I'm just sharing what I have and guiding and, and allowing you to be redirected. But really a lot of people just prayed during it. And um, I was really refreshed by that and encouraged. So if you need some refreshment, encouragement, some time with God, you could check out that's on Facebook live. We'll be up forever and, and we'll be doing it again all the Wednesdays in August. Awesome. Yeah, so man. When right. I first saw that, I was like, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. When I was doing that, I was like, um, I, I saw our prayer. Um, so in the, in the African churches, I don't want to say all African churches, but they have this thing that in some churches, they have this thing called hour of power where hour. all yeah. the anointing is released. <laughs> you should go to one of those things, man. Oh, there is one, one ministry <laughs> particular. Um, and I'll, 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 um, I'll only say part of their name, but they're called like it's something mountain of fire and they just call down all kinds of fire. It, brother, it, it, they get live, um, yeah. not necessarily theologically sound, but they get live. And so <laughs> but when I saw our prayer, I was like, oh, OK, not our power, but our prayer. Um, so that'd mm. be great. Great time. 10 a.m. on Wednesdays. Love that. And of course, we've got also coming up um, August 30th. Right. We've got um, New yeah. Life, which I'm super excited about. Yeah, been the first time since the pandemic started, right? So, well, so actually, yeah, well, actually, you know. the last service we had together as a community was a New right. Life weekend. Wow! And what and and that was March. Yes, so we're booking yeah. in the pandemic with some baptisms. Nice. Uh, I'm a, <laughs> nice. yeah. I, I mean, I wanted to do cool. it that way. I wanted to celebrate it, when we got back together, and we are. It's gonna be online too. Um, we'll, we'll we'll be out in the pavilion, so internet will probably work. It'll be great, but if not, everything's recorded. We will launch it. So you'll be able to watch all the baptisms if you aren't comfortable coming. But you can come and park. We're gonna have people parked close, and we have an FM transmitter. So if you want to stay in your car, you could do that. If you want to come live, you could do that. We're gonna put some chlorine in the water and and be as safe as we can. Um, but it's time to celebrate. And yeah, I'm looking, oh my gosh, it's coming so quick. And yeah. uh, s sneak peek, ne not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, we're going to have another worship leader out um, to, to who's coming from Minnesota. And he's going to come and lead our, our band together as we continue to search for uh, one of the worship positions we have available. So that's coming too. Uh, there's a lot of exciting things that you're going to want to tune in for. Amen. Well, good. Well, on my end, the fact Bowie clan is doing well. Um, we Good. are thankful family who was in Arizona for about a month, so they're back, and I'm excited to have my rib back, as it were. Um, <laughs> excited to have my my arrows, as the Bible calls them, um, back, and so it's super exciting to see them. They've grown in just a little 30 days they've been away. I mean, my son's got a, a nice sort of uh, Latin tan, and he's looking wonderful, and I'm like, all right, brother, go for it. So he's got his curly hair, baby. Baby's starting to say hi and bye and, and walk, uh, so I miss her first step, but I'm excited she's walking, oh. so that's always a joy, um, but we caught it on video. Thank God for technology. So that's uh, that's about it. I think we're it's been a great season. I was out last week, so it was a good time to just uh, really. I, I mean, I had so much fun just watching the paint dry. Um, you know, it's just <laughs> just to relax. So I had a little bit of a staycation, but I'm excited to be back. And um, yeah, awesome, awesome time. 
I do want to remind everybody, just let's continue to pray for our nation and pray for our world and pray for our church. Uh, these are super trying times, and we want to continue to just uh, be uh, anchored in Christ. And so I want to just remind us to uh, pray all the time. And a uh, great, great way to, to sort of explore prayer is that hour of prayer. So um, don't forget that as well. But yeah, well, we got our first question, uh, which is for you, Pastor Nathan. Um, yeah. Take it away. Yeah, I think this one's really um, well written out. So I'm going to read it all and then I'm going to go through it and um, and then we'll, I'll give my thoughts on it and Daniel will be able to chime in and then we'll, we'll move on to the next one. Um, but this one's been there for a little bit. I'm glad we could get to it. That's from David and David says, hey, I have a question for Table Talk Thursday and one that I've been struggling with. You and I have had this conversation, he's talking to Pastor Daniel before about the chasm that exists between liberal Christians and conservative Christians regarding theology, righteousness, and the response to the challenges in our society today. And we often approach these various topics on opposite sides. Talks a little bit there about protests and why it seems like liberals protest and conservative Christians don't. Um, but he says this, and I, I feel like we're all in this place. I'm angry and deeply saddened by the displays of racism that we have witnessed. There's no place for racial prejudice and brutality in our society. And then he asks, what should our response be uh, in regards to protests? Why is um, it that there's a difference between conservative and liberal Christians? So this one already is pretty, you know, we've talked about some pretty difficult conversations here. And I know everybody who's listening, if you're listening right now, could even be listening just say, okay, what are they going to say? What are we going to say? I want, I want to take us back a little bit um, just to the idea of protests. And then I want to share with you a little bit about the way that I view these different circumstances, which I have found in personal conversations with people who have come with me to, with concerns that this has been helpful. I really appreciate it. We're always open to people having conversations with us um, where we want to learn, we want to grow. Um, as we continue to learn to be Christians. Um, but there's this line that caught me. There's a chasm between liberal and conservative Christians. And uh, I definitely feel that that's the way it feels. In fact, I believe that politics want us to believe that there's a chasm. I think that the world is trying to do that. I'm not saying there isn't differences and there isn't gaps, because there are. But when we look at Ephesians um, 2, and we looked at all of Ephesians, it was about unity. And when we're Christians, we have a binding force that brings us together. It's the Holy Spirit and it's Jesus Christ. That we can only have unity because of him. That we are first um, in his kingdom and doing what he has called us to use. So I, I'm starting to really um, say, let's stop using prefixes before Christian. And just say mm -hmm. we're a Christian. And then let's talk about what we mean. We can have different views on it, but it, I get frustrated because it's like saying a democrat christian or a republican christian yeah. when christian is the defining characteristic of who we are we are christians and bound together now i'm not going to make that the answer like oh that's a really real conversation <laughs> that we need to have and oh you just avoided it wow nice slight we just christian <laughs> you know like which people oh, do <laughs> why and i get it it's hard it's, it's nuanced, and that's why we have a discussion, so we can be nuanced. All right. First of all, I want to say something because we brought up pro protests. The way I see it right now, and I know there was a lot of protests around racial injustice, but there's protests all the time. And I actually think that liberal Christians and conservative Christians protest. They do. Mm. I know conservative Christians who protested uh, during the last racial stuff that's going on. I know conservatives that didn't. I, 
And I know that conservatives protest for other reasons as well. I, I just see Christians as Americans protesting. That's kind of part of who we are. In fact, we're called Protestants or Protestants. And we were protesting what the Catholic Church had done to Christianity and turned it into something. Now, that is different because that's religion versus our governmental system. But protesting is part of our very theological DNA. Now, what I want to talk about briefly for just a moment, and then I'd love Daniel to chime in about this, is what our response should be, you know, in regards to racial reconciliation. We've talked about this a lot um, and you can go back to those conversations, but I want to, I want us to remind ourselves of one thing. First, we are as Christians, subjects and heirs of something. We're subjects and heirs of a kingdom. So democracy is a great system in many ways. I mean, I, I like it a lot. My friends, I, I've talked about how um, I've sacrificed for it in the military. My friends have died for it. I think democracy is is a pretty good way of having government. I, I love it, you know, I, I really do. Um, but I'm not going to be in a democracy, and I'm not actually primarily in a democracy now. I'm in a kingdom. I'm in the kingdom of God. He is the king. And we're not going to have a public vote in the future in eternity. God's going to decide. <laughs> this is much more like a dictatorship. Now, that's like saying what I want here. Not at all. But what I'm saying is we need to remind ourselves first that we belong to this, this kingdom. I'm going to use two different hands here, and I think it'll be helpful. We belong to this kingdom first. He rules. He makes decisions. There's no vote in what he says. He's given us the word of God. He's given us our marching orders. That's why we got to stick to what he has said and go after it. But God, even Jesus, called us to be part of the government or what rules over us in our land. Okay, so as Christians who follow God in the kingdom, we're called to be part of the government that is over us to live, whether you want to view it as Babylon and we're supposed to be there to the good of the land and to, to see it, or you want to see it as give to Caesar as what Caesar's, we can go into that. But we are called to participate in the government. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. I'm going to take this one for just a second. This is the American government, which is a democracy. To be a good subject in the kingdom, we need to participate in the rule that God has placed over us, which is a democracy and America. I'm called to participate in this government. This is how I view it. So, we have the honor of being part of a government built on the principles that we collectively can build a better society. That we collectively, if we get enough people together with votes and politicians and judges and blah, 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 the point is to build a better union. Meaning we get to faithfully follow God by advocating for our morals that God has given us and being informed by our faith in the government just like those who are Muslim, atheists, and so forth. So here's the deal. These worlds, they touch. Because God has called us to be faithful as citizens because we're faithful as subjects. And this is always primary, but here's where the issue is. Because they touch, because who God has called us to be and do in the word of God touches our responsibility as good subjects in this American democracy, it gets really confusing. Uh, and it'd be okay if they just touched, right? But what has happened and what politics has done is they have tried to, as much as possible, merge the two. 
to make it one thing, to say, to be a good Christian, you must be, do these things in this government. And, you know, I've spent hours and hours seeing both sides of this equation, but I think the problem we have is that we've merged them. And since we're not being sophisticated in our reasoning, or we've assumed that conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat, Democratic Christian is the same thing as being a Christian, um, we've run into problems. See, I'm a liberal uh, Christian or I'm a conservative Christian. I don't agree with those things, but that is what politics has done. They have co-opted Christianity to turn it into sides. And that's what I think is the problem we've had today, that we have a hard time pulling these back apart. And we have made these, the two, the same thing. And in fact, I think because we've been doing this long enough, the kingdom of American democracy has eclipsed, perhaps, our desire to be part of the kingdom. So this is a nuanced conversation. I believe that this difference, if we can acknowledge it and talk through it, then we have a much better discussion as Christians who are on different sides of whatever issue you want to talk about, about it, recognizing that we're subjects to the kingdom of God first. Um, and I think, too, in our world, we don't have nuanced conversations. We don't have relationship conversations. It's kind of been eradicated um, with rhetoric and vitriol and political machinations. Um, politics wants conflict and chasm between us. I'm telling you that. You know, the politicians want Christians to be divided on this. Why? Because politicians, unfortunately, instead of, of for the good of the country, um, our politics has become of for the avoidance of fear and discomfort mostly. And so politicians use fear. So what do they want to do? They want to widen the chasm between Christians so they can get them to be afraid, so that they can get them to vote, so that there can be power can come. That's that's how it works. All of our political advertisements show us the truth behind the way that they're doing that. So wrap it back up. Here's what I'm saying. First, we need to have the conversation about what the kingdom of God says and realize that we have unity in Christ. And then once we have determined what God has called us to do, we find out how we can be good citizens in the kingdom of God. And that was a, that was a really long answer, Daniel. Good answer. Um, good answer. But I, I've been thinking about this a lot, yeah. a lot. I, I think this is a good answer. I think you hit a lot of the practical things. And I think, um, I think a few things that you said to jump out is um, essentially uh, any human government has a stake um, in, in us as a society not being united. Um, and I, I don't want you to sort of, you know, as you're listening, I don't want you to run with any sort of philosophical structure to label what I'm saying. But if you think about it from this perspective, in fact, I used to work for a CEO um, about 10 years ago, um, and she literally said, I like it when my staff don't get along. Because mm. when they don't get along, I can learn things. I can know things. They'll talk about each other to me. They'll tell each other stuff to me. Wow. Um, they will be, I will be able to have a heartbeat on what's going on. And I never have to worry about uh, some sort of coup or whatever in takeover because I have them all sort of discombobulated. Um, now, I appreciate her saying that out loud. Um, but the reality is that a lot of people feel that way and don't say it. And so politicians, I think, in, in general, have a vested interest 
in being able to, to villainize each other, to cause us to villainize each other, because then you can say, oh, those Democrats did it, or those Republicans did it. And I think in a large sense, the church also has fallen victim to that, right? And so when we're having conversations, even, you know, I, I love our brother David, and I know him, uh, I've had a privilege of knowing him personally, so I know his heart behind what he's saying. But even those labels, like you rightly said, are the are part of the problem, right? And and we're now, we've put each other into these categories and we assume so many things about each other. We run narratives about those things. Uh, in fact, we're more shocked when someone does something we like than we are when they do something we don't like because we've already assumed them to be the villain. Um, and so, so I think it's helpful to have to talk from that perspective. But I think even deeper still, um, as, as I look at scripture, I look at, you know, Martin Luther writes a great book on vocation, right? The Christian calling. And one of the things he said, and this sort of goes to the heart of um, caring for our neighbors and all, he says, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. Um, and that's super huge, right? Because mm. our calling is to serve God. Yes, but we serve God by serving people as well, right? Yeah. Um, you know, oh, I, I forgot who said it, but uh, I think it was Maya Angelou. She said, uh, don't seek to be great. Seek to serve people. And along the way, you'll bump into greatness, right? And so we see this sense of serving mankind, that that is our calling. Like you, if you ever wondered if you were called and you're not in pastoral ministry, you have a call in one in Christ. If you're a Christian, he's called you to the family. So you, you are part of what we call the priesthood of believers, you can approach God directly. You don't need some mediator uh, in humans to do that, right? Christ is our only mediator. So you have that aspect. But then we also have our calling to serve people um, in all the areas that we can, especially in the areas of caring for their practical needs, like, you know, life and dignity mm -hmm. and things of that nature. Um, and a wise man is preaching this weekend, said something along the lines of just essentially being Christ-like in your, in your job, in your vocation. Um, you know, before you try to go evangelize the world, like, oh, I'm going to go to, you know, Uganda and save 10 million people. Are you loving people at work? You know what I mean? Are you, are you yeah. being Christ-like to people at work? And so I think those are, those are aspects that make this a little more palatable and a little more personable for us is that, yes, jettison the labels, but behind that, do you understand the mandate of God on us as Christians to love our neighbors, to rejoice yeah. with those who are rejoicing, to mourn with those who are mourning, um, to, to even have Paul in 1 Corinthians realize that immaturity in the faith is what causes schisms among us and that yeah. we are actually meant to not be partisan. We're not supposed to be labeling ourselves as I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican. Uh, you know, am I for Paul or am I for Apollos? Um, Paul rebukes all that. He says, none of these people uh, you know, Trump didn't die for you. Obama didn't die for you. Christ died for you um, and saved you and made you his own. So I think those are helpful things for us to continue to think about, especially in a culture that is continuing to allow us to villainize those who have different ideologies from us. Uh, because one, we're just spouting ideologies that are not biblical in some cases. Um, and we've allowed those to now be our identity versus having us be Christians who happen to vote a certain way, who happen to right. be a certain way and do a certain thing. Uh, and yeah. I think it's always up for discussion. I think any normal, growing, mature person should always be open. Paul even says this, right? Check and examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. 
we should always be checking and double checking and triple checking and say, not as a sense of fear, like God doesn't love me or I have to do a certain checklist for God to be approved of me. No, you're approved in Christ if you're a Christian because he's made you righteous. But I think the ability to realize that I am not perfect and that my vision is not perfect and my vision is blurred. And so if you are quote unquote conservative and you don't, uh, support things that are that have to do with justice issues or social justice issues. I want to challenge you and encourage you to check and double check yourself to not listen to some political party, but to check scripture to see what you're doing. And if you're quote unquote liberal and all you do is protest and protest and protest, and perhaps your protesting is moving towards not loving someone, I want to encourage and challenge you as well to see how we can balance that out with grace and truth. And so I think we're always going to be trying to refine ourselves and and be more in line with what God has called us to be. And that's as far as I can read a scripture, that's until you die, until you take your last breath, you are going to be continued to be refined by God. So unless you know that you're passing away the next second, uh, you cannot talk about being done or arriving. So that's got a little yeah. morbid there for a second, but you get my yeah. point. <laughs> just a bit, just a bit. I think one of the things that you'll, you'll hear this weekend is this idea of, of um, if you're going to critique something or you're going to give advice about something, whether it's work or sex or relationships or politics, you should ask the question, what does the gospel have to say about this first? Mm-hmm. And then go find it. You know, I, I struggle when people, should I be doing a certain action? And so what, what do you think the word of God is calling you to do? And, and cause it is different in different situations. And what's important for me to do as a pastor is not tell you what to do or what to believe about certain actions that are important, but aren't the kingdom. It's to challenge you about the word of God and for you to go through that journey. I was just talking about, and, and we can move on to the next question. Um, but one thing I, I was talking to someone about is how there's a, there's a tendency um, for churches to, to take uh, pastors to take other series and um, verbatim use those those series, uh, the the sermons and all that. And there's debate on whether that's right. Okay, most people are like, "What?" and they don't yeah, that's like my, it. That's a big pet peeve for me. Right. I I do have a couple God professors, couple professors I've learned over the years who said that's okay. Just tell them you're doing it, and I'm like, <laughs> "That is not going to be fair. okay because no one's going to be okay yeah. with that." But but yeah. there's good wisdom, right? But here's the problem. Here's here's what I'd say. Why I bring it up is it's not really to get to talk about whether that's a good thing or not, but I can tell um, when someone is preaching somebody else's sermon because they haven't gone on the journey that led to that sermon coming out. And so when you have the, the credibility to go on the journey and then speak it, it just comes out. It comes through. So my point in saying, if I tell you to do something or not do something and you haven't gone through the journey of scripture, one, I'm keeping you from experiencing what God is, and you haven't gone on the journey. And so I, I, I think that's important, and that can apply to so many things. If you want to speak about this, go on the journey first, and then um, your, your words will have much more power. But I mean, I'm, I lo- I'm grateful that Jesus went on the journey to the cross for me. <laughs> he went through, through, through absolute destruction for me. And because of that, that allows me to have even the ability to, to fight for what's right and to have victory over sin and to have these deep conversations. So it's, I'm grateful for that. Grateful yeah. for that. And I think uh, the next question is for you. 
or for yeah. both of us. Well, you said something too that I, I just want to also use as a as a sort of a, a PSA, a public service oh, okay. announcement to our our listeners. Um, it is incumbent on us as congregation to check the scriptures uh, whenever you're listening to a sermon. It's super mm-hmm. incumbent, um, and I think. Um, I think that's that's that might also help with that, brother. Like if people know that we are you're being held accountable for what you preach, we will be. I mean, James three says we will be judged by those things. So don't seek to be teachers. So there's a judgment coming for all of us who claim to be teachers. I just hurt my soul by saying that out loud. Um, but there is right there is super. Yeah. We're going to stand before God for every word and all human beings will stand before God at some point. Um, and, and Jesus even says for even the the actions and the thoughts of your mind. But I say that to say, like, one of my favorite verses in the book of Acts um, is, uh, as it pertains to teaching and preaching, is Acts chapter 17, where Paul is in a place called Berea. Um, and so you might have heard pastors say, I've said it before, be a Berean. Um, their faith was strengthened because as Paul was teaching them, they were searching the scriptures to see whether or not what he was saying was true. Um, And I think sometimes folks, you may rob yourself of, so one, I think it's helpful because one, I think when pastors know you're listening and you're checking, um, I think there is an internal uh, mechanism to ensure. Now we should already have that motivation before God, but there's also an extra layer of, okay, not only am I right doctrinally, but am I also conveying this truth in a way that makes sense and that is, that is hitting home, uh, and am I doing the work to make sure you can understand it? But I think you then rob yourself as a congregant uh, of the joy of God's blessed faithfulness and assurance of your soul when you do not check and see if that is true. If the preacher is preaching uh, and if it's lining up, I think that's just the do your homework part of it, right? Don't outsource your so faith. I- Yep. Any problem with any sermon, the, what you need to do is just email daniel.fagbui. <laughs> and you know all, I love all, that, though. You know I love actually, that. I mean, no, there's been, yeah, no, yeah, there's been a do. few people who, who've, <laughs> no, uh, uh, yeah, they email and they be like, okay, oh, man, I didn't know I was going to get this much information back. I'm like, hey, hey I'd rather over-communicate <laughs> than under-communicate. And I'll give you resources, as, as we say, chapter and verse. Uh, yeah. where was it written uh, that type of scenario so no absolutely yeah. I feel like you wanted to say something without someone else cool no I think we're good right. I think we're ready to go on to the next question yes. so be Bereans folks be Bereans um, what's the next question okay so well this is actually a two-parter question um, but we're going to break it up in two parts and we'll we'll follow up on the second portion uh, God willing next week um, or or in a later time uh, but our sister, um, I, I don't know if she wanted to stay anonymous, but I'll just go with the first name. Sister Sandy said, what is Life Church sort of official stance on abortion? And so um, I want to sort of give you an official, uh, give you the, the opportunity, Pastor Nathan, to give an official church statement as, our, as the lead pastor. And then we can sort of flesh that out together. Yeah, I, we'll go short and then we'll we'll go long, just like you said. But the official stance uh, of Life Church, we're part of the Evangelical Covenant Church. So the pastors here, although we we you know have have stated in the past, like, hey, here here's um, the things that we're gonna harp 
you know, not harp on, but be really firm on. And the other thing, there's going to be, you know, an opportunity for people to have differing views and still be a part of the church. But at every level that you get higher and higher in the organization, more of that information comes out. We want people to belong, but we do believe that we need to have a unified vision, especially on hot button topics. So when we talk about the evangelical covenant church, like those who are pastors here are under um, uh, our licenses under them, meaning we have to affirm what they believe and we have to preach what they believe. And so it's not a cop out at all. It's who we are and what we do. Um, I'll say another thing here in a little bit about one of the ways we're going to bring greater clarity to the local context, but I wanted to give that caveat before I say this. This is my personal belief. This is Life Church's belief. This is the Evangelical Covenant Church's belief. Um, we believe that humanity is made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, and that applies to the baby at conception. Um, that it is made in the image of God, and that the family is an institute created by God, that we're supposed to be devoted to each other, and also that when we have a child, it's, it's a life that's trusted into our care. So for us, we don't affirm abortion at all. Um, and our understanding of scripture is that when abortion, an abortion occurs, it's the loss of a life. Um, and, and in that case, that life has been terminated it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's murder. We also know statistically the amount of people who are in our church right now, women who've had an abortion, that they're there. There's a lot of them. And so we recognize that um, we've got to care for the mother as well in the midst of it, as well as um, advocate and hold up the truth that it is a life that is being lost. So very simply, it's a gift of God, um, children, he or she is a gift of God and that we believe that life begins at, at conception and, and we have to fight for it, provide, um, pr fight for families, fight for women, um, fight for kids. And we have to be the people who go in and provide care in situations where abortion may occur. So it's a huge conversation, but simply said, we believe it's a life. And if it's a life, it's made in the image of God. And it's the image of God that has value and that we need to protect um, the, the vulnerable and, and the powerless. Amen. Uh, I do have a follow-up question um, that we'll do, but I think I, I, I agree with that. I think there are some great places in scripture that shows that life begins at conception. Um, and I'll say this slowly in case people want to be Bereans and check it out. Uh, but Jeremiah 1, 5, um, Jeremiah, uh, God speaks of forming Jeremiah in the womb. Um, and, and calling him from out of the womb uh, speaks of a sort of sense of alertness and God being aware and God being in that process. Isaiah 49 also, God speaks of calling Isaiah out of the womb. John the Baptist uh, received the Holy Spirit while in the womb. Um, and even Paul himself speaks of God setting him apart from the womb. Uh, and of course, Jesus himself, our Lord and Savior. Um, God speaks of being... Uh, intimately involved in the creation of life uh, from day one. So for God, in fact, we could even go deeper and say, since souls are eternal, um, that uh, God has known um, you and I before even you entered your mother's womb. And so life for God actually believes before inception um, in many ways. And so it's, it's helpful to know those things because the Bible's very clear on that. Um, but I've had this actually happen before, Pastor Nathan. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. 
What do you say to a woman who says, I've had an abortion, maybe even multiple, I've committed the unpardonable sin? Oh, man. Yeah. Um, one, there's no unpardonable sin. The only one spoken about. Even now, one, do- I love it. Yeah, there's no unpardonable sin. Um, the only one that may is one one scripture, I believe, maybe two, that are talking about uh, denying the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's a whole different conversation for a different day. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, what I would say to that woman is that uh, God loves you. God paid for every sin that we'll ever do, from us white lie to murder to things that in our minds are even worse than that. Like, God has paid for all of that and he wants to forgive you and bring you righteousness that he has accepted that. And, um, and, and this is, uh, I've had a woman who was an advocate. She had an abortion, multiple abortions, and then she became an advocate and spoke to women all the time about not doing it and, and presented the biblical thing. But then she had a conversation with me and she said, you know, I tell people about this, but I cannot forgive myself. And mm. uh, so I'm speaking to those who agree that it is a sin. There are those who don't. Um, and I, I want to acknowledge that. It's not how I see scripture. I think scripture is really clear, but there are those who, who don't, but she did. And she was an advocate. She goes, I just can't forgive myself. And we talked some more and she kept saying this. And then eventually I said, sister, I need to tell you something. I love you. Um, but it's about Christ forgiving you and about you accepting that. And when you hold on and say, you can't forgive yourself or God can't forgive me for this sin, you're saying that what Jesus did on the cross isn't powerful enough to cover what I have done. Yeah. That's theologically yeah. the ramifications yeah. of that. And, and in that moment, that was right to say for her because she didn't receive that as shameful because the point isn't to, be, to, to bring more shame. That's what she was dealing with, but to be set free, to be set free from the shame of it and the guilt and the pain of it so that you can glorify God and so that she, in her greatest misery, could even have a more impactful ministry. I mean, this is someone who is still saying like, no, 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 I'm going to preach. I'm going to love. I'm going to provide for women who need help and care. I'm going to do all these things. And yet I'm still harboring some of this, this shame. Um, you know, I, I want everyone to know that you have had an abortion um, and you're struggling with that. Uh, man, God, God wants to forgive you. God wants to give you life. Um, and no way do I understand all the things that led to it. No way will I judge that. Um, I just want people to know what the word of God says and, um, and then the hope that we have in forgiveness. Amen. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think those, that's, <clears throat> that's perfect. And I think there, the reality too, um, folks is um, the, the sort of meta narrative question, right? Is, um, is God big enough to save me? Uh, or does God's, is God's grace limited? Um, that that's and when you start to phrase it that way, I think it helps us understand. No, 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 no sin is beyond the power, the saving power of Christ. And uh, you know, I remember listening to um, um, forgive me, anybody who knows me, forgive me for saying this, but I remember listening to TBN some some years, some years back, and um, and um, and it, there's a gentleman there who was a, a rapper actually who was converted to Christianity. And he had mentioned, he said, you know, sometimes people have more confidence in the devil um, taking them than in Christ keeping them. Um, and so I, and I, and the reason I'm saying that is that 
there is sometimes a sense where we tend to forget the God that we're talking about, uh, that there's no depth of sin that he cannot pull us out of. Um, yeah. And so, again, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a matter of, um, of understanding and trusting and believing in God's report. Uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself than God says. Uh, or more of yourself than God says. Humility is thinking exactly as God says you are. It's one of the reasons I love the Greek word for confession. It's homologia. It means say the same thing. I agree with God of who I am, of mm-hmm. his appraisal of me. And so when we confess our sins, we are agreeing with God that that's a heinous sin. But man, what an awesome thing. When It's so beautiful when the saint is wrapped up in the Savior more than in their sin. It's such mm-hmm. a great thing. It's such a great thing. It's so freeing, right? It frees us to be able to, one, appreciate what Christ has saved us from. So we're not preaching some sort of hyper grace where you just, as Paul says, just go on free will and sinning. It doesn't matter. God's paid it all. Um, But that, no, there is a sense where, man, when I get to the core of seeing the, the, just the, the roughness of who I am, no makeup, no facade, I know that God loves that creature. Like yeah. he loved that. And so, yeah. so one, that's, that's, that's helpful to just keep in mind of the, the attributes of God that he, he doesn't change, that he isn't a God who loves you in a fair weather way. Uh, but then I think there's, a, there's another issue too that I kind of think one of our sisters, Tanika, made a comment that I think it's helpful is uh, I personally don't classify life-threatening situations as abortion. What's, what's the... Uh... Can you rate the quote that Tanika said? Yeah. So she says there are, in response to uh, the the conversation on abortion, she says there are life-threatening issues that may constitute the need for medically necessary abortions. So in my mind frame, in my theological mind frame, I don't call that an abortion. I know classically in the general sense, it is an abortion of the womb. I don't consider that. When I speak of abortion, I narrow that personally to uh, someone making a decision out of quote, unquote, my comfort, or um, I don't have time for a baby right now. Those are the things that I classify. When it's a matter of life and death, I don't see that as an abortion in, this, in, a, in a sort of theological sense. Again, we're sort of semantics here. To abort mm-hmm. is to sort of push out or to withdraw, or to, uh, right. to evacuate, if you will. Right. So, so from that perspective, yes. But I see that as a, uh, a sort of um, induced miscarriage, if you will. Um, mm. that perspective. Um, so, yeah. so that, does that help that, that clarifies, but I will never categorize, um, a, a, a woman, um, sort of having a life and death and the decision has to be made between keeping one and keeping the other. I would never, um, put that as a, um, as a, as an abortion. It's an interesting conversation too. We're just, we're doing hypotheticals here. And I think that's yeah. important that, that we talk about each situation individually. It's unique. Um, yeah. yeah. It's unique. You know, there's the stories of women who have been told if you don't abort this child, you are going to die. And mm-hmm. then being Christians and saying, Nope, we're gonna do it. And they both yeah. live. And then there's stories of that not happening. Um yeah. I think there's there is a conviction of the Holy Spirit that comes um that is necessary. And you know, I had a, a wise professor say, Hey, you could talk about every hypothetical in the world and try to nuance exactly what God would do in every situation. But again, you could go back to the word of God and point people to the word of God and being able to have a relationship with him and listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I'm always going to do. But out of convenience um, and all of those things, 
you make a distinction. I don't know if I make a distinction, um, but I'm not sure it matters if I make a distinction there, or the same distinction you do. I think it's one of those things where we have to trust um, in God and trust in the Holy Spirit to speak um, in those situations. And you could then say, well, Nathan, then you could just apply that to every abortion. And I, I just don't think that's, that's true. Mm. I think we are still in the process of learning um, so much of, of, about pregnancy and, and about birth. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, and if you're, um, if you work in maternity wards and all that or, or postpartum, don't take this offensively. There's so much we don't know about the birthing process. Uh, so much we don't that, know about the body, the human body yeah, alone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's what I love is the word of God is there to point us in the right direction. Like I'll use this one small example of why I can have confidence in what the word of God says and allow science to continue to, to point us in the right direction. Many of the uh, ritual cleansing things or the, the clean stuff that they're supposed to do as Jewish people actually had, had health benefits that no one could have possibly known because they didn't know about bacteria and so forth. So I, I think, you know, God goes before us and we have to hold that, that up. But the stance of uh, us as, as a church is that um, there's grace and mercy for those who um, have had an abortion um, for sure. And we don't, you don't have to fill out a questionnaire or anything like that. It's not the point. Um, the point would be like, like right. abortion is not God's plan. And if right. it's not God's Absolutely. plan, it's a sin. And if Absolutely. it's a sin, it hurts us and others. And it has consequences. And God has covered us um, in his mercy and grace. And we could spend hours talking about nuances, but I think we'd love to do that with you if you have further questions. Or maybe if Absolutely. we get enough questions, we'll, we'll bring it back up on another Table Talk Thursday. No, I think you're right. I think it's a it's a case by case scenario. Um, I think uh, my my sort of conviction on that is um, um, is is nuanced too, right? And sort of how you explain that. I think the overall principle though is that life matters to God, and life begins at inception, um, and like I said, even pre inception, and we do all we can to save life. And I, I think that's that's always going to and, and preserve life. Right. Which kind of links into our other conversation, even about justice. Uh, you know, I remember um, a, um, uh, a um, an artist saying in one of his songs is um, it sort of and it was a a sort of conviction moment for the church to say, protect life in the womb and outside of the womb. Life has yeah. to matter in and out the womb. Um, and yeah. so as Christians, we, we believe in the sanctity of life in the womb, but we ought to also apply that to sanctity of life outside of the womb when it pertains to people being hurt and harmed and marginalized and oppressed. That's also part of the sanctity of life. So that, that whole comes full circle um, yeah. in a sense. So very good. Yeah. Cool. Perfect. Perfect. Do you have any follow-up questions on that? Any follow-up thoughts on that? Um, no, I think just we're comments. Okay. It's good. Comment sweet. All right. What else do we have? How much? Uh, we got we one. 15 minutes. Oh, we can handle this Let's one see. in 15. Easy. Richard Christ asked the question, is hell real? Will people be in hell? How long will they be in hell? Um, well, I don't know. I've been in Michigan two and a half years. So no, <laughs> ah, there's I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love this place. It's I wasn't expecting that one. I, there's a hell Michigan. Actually, it's just close. Is to it me. really? I'm not kidding. Yeah, I went to a. There place is a place hell. called Hell, Michigan. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it is. There's a oh. uh, Devil's Point in Hell, Michigan. I care. I kid you not. Look it up. Uh, hell, Michigan. Hold on. I better get this right. 
Uh, yeah, Hell, Hell Michigan. Michigan. It says go it's to hellmi.com. Uh, yeah, Hell. Yeah, there's hells. Anyways, my point is not that. Sorry, that was <laughs> so Brother, random. that's important for me to know. I well, live in a state like, that has hell in it. Yeah, well, there's like, uh, there's, it's like in our Ann Arbor area. It's like, uh, I think north of it, it's close. It's not far away. Anyways, uh, which has got- Hell is close, is what you tell yeah, me. Is, <laughs> right. yeah. Hell simply is a place of um, eternal con- um, conscious punishment for the wicked. Oh, like it's, it is for a place- For the wicked? It, for the wicked, for those who are uh, against God. That's like the, the theological terminology. Sort of classical, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. Uh, Matthew 25, um, Jesus talks about hell and talks about throwing the worthless servant outside into darkness where he's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, and then he will, and then he goes on later in that same passage. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, meaning people will be there as well as Satan and his angels. And Mark, Jesus calls it unquenchable fire. Um, in Revelations, it states being thrown into the lake of fire. As I understand it, hell is the awareness. So for hell for me is the eternal separation from God and the awareness of what you're missing out on. And there's pain and there's suffering. All of us don't understand fully, um, and we will someday, what it's like to be unified completely, body, soul, mind, everything with God, and the joy of being in his glory and being able to worship him. We don't truly, we get glimpses of that, but someday we will. Now imagine what that is, and then knowing that you will never be a part of it. Um, that's what hell, in my mind, is. It's, it's real. Um, I, you know, shortly, how long? There are couple different people who believe different things about this. I'll say some of the theories um, just briefly so you know, and then say kind of what I believe um, and what I think scripture says. So there's this idea of annihilation and there's some scriptural backing for it, but I think it's, um, you know, you're just looking at it. And the, the idea is that after people who have died and been separated from God in hell for a certain period of time, that God will, uh, it's called the annihil- uh, annihilism, annihil- annihilation. annihilationism annihilationism and there's variations of it essentially that god will there will be a set time of suffering and then they will cease to exist their souls will cease to exist um or saying only through christ can we have eternal life which means if we're not in christ we can't have eternal life which means those will end so those are different things that they've gone through um i don't believe in that Uh, i believe that there there is eternal um suffering but i also say that um uh, I, I can't possibly know exactly what's going to happen because I'm not God. And Revelations is a notoriously difficult uh, revelation is a, a notoriously difficult um, uh, Bible or, or scripture to to interpret since most of it hasn't happened yet. And we know that um, a ton of people didn't see Jesus coming and they thought they were the best interpreters of scripture ever in prophecy and they got it wrong. So I have to admit my humility um, best of my knowledge, but hell is real. People go there. It's separated from God. It is an unfortunate place to be. It is a bad place to be. It is suffering. Its consequences are severe. Um, and, and I think it will be for, for eternity. Um, and those things I don't want to believe. I actually don't want to believe any of those things because um, it then puts me on my knees every day for those who don't know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, Dan, you want to dive in? That was uh, just kind of a quick run through the question. 
Yeah, what I want to do is take people through the eight levels of Dante's Inferno. Um, no, I'm no, joking. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm joking. But it's it's interesting because most uh, some some people's theological belief is more akin to uh, Greek mythology than it is anything else. Um, right. However, I do think you do have to have a, a, a decent cultural understanding of Hebrew and Greek to be able to right. know the words that Paul is using, right? Paul uses, I think, words like Tartarus and Jesus uses Gehenna and all this other stuff. Um, and, you know, and even when we talk about annihilationism, there is a spectrum there, right? Some people see it more as a Thanos snap, right? <laughs> you're sort of nothingness. Others see it as that sort of purgatory-like season, um, and then nothing. And then, so anyway, so there's nuances there, uh, folks. Um, but I think uh, uh, everything that Pastor Nathan said, I agree with in terms of it being a real conscious place. I mean, Luke, I think, talks about that with Lazarus, how he opens up his eyes and he's able to understand. And those who are in hell are able to be alert and aware. And so there's consciousness there. Um, I think that the preponderance of evidence points towards judgment and punishment. Uh, of course, separation from God, but also keep in mind separation from God, not in the sense because there's no place God doesn't exist. So his attribute of wrath and anger exists there. So there is that sense of mm. God's presence there in the sense of being able to experience the, uh, you know, unmitigated uh, wrath of God that he poured out on Christ for those who believe in Christ. I believe it was C.S. Lewis that says, if there was ever any doctrine, anything that I would love to pull out of scripture, uh, because of the difficulty of it, it's the doctrine of hell. Uh, yeah. It is the teaching of hell. It is not comfortable. Uh, and I think it's often not talked about um, in many ways. Um, and so um, I think we do need to, as a church, be caref careful to talk about it um, and say yes. it from a position of humility. One, I think it's also cool to note that Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And not only that, he spoke more about hell than he did heaven. Um, this is interesting um, because sometimes when we think of Christ, I think you guys mentioned this even last week, there's this dichotomy that people try to create between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God, the sort of Marcionism, right? This old heresy that says the God of the Old Testament is wrathful. It's like Zeus in the sky throwing down thunderbolts. Uh, but yet then there's this beautiful loving Christ who just loves us and is wonderful. And he's like a 1970s American hippie. And he's just, you know, kumbaya with a piccolo and a guitar. Like, I don't know um, the view of some people who have of Jesus. Right. Which is, you know, you know, and I'm, I'm sort of my, some of my uh, pet peeves are showing here is there is this sort of um, um, reductionist view of Jesus as this super loving, and he is um, loving person, but then they skip like the Jesus who sort of rips people out of the temple or the Jesus who says these hard things on purpose so people can understand the reality of hell um, and the judgment of God. And so I think Jesus speaks about it. And I think in order to have a well-rounded, robust theology, uh, we as preachers, we as churches, we as Christians need to become aware and share and speak of the reality of God's judgment. So I think hell is true. It's a real place. Um, and I think uh, even even skeptics have, have just talked about, man, I love Jesus so much, uh, but I wish he didn't talk about hell. Like if he hadn't talked about hell, he would be this wonderful uh, person that I would love. And so it's a reality. It's a real place to answer sort of more of uh, Richard's question. 
Um, I'm yeah, I agree with what Pastor Nathan said. I think I believe hell is real. Uh, I believe people will be in hell. Um, and um, I also believe it's eternal. Um, now, I let me say this. Hell says more about the holiness of God than what someone could consider as the injustice of God. This is the longstanding yeah. question of theodicy, right? This is theodicy, yeah. the justice of God. Is God just? So here's the thing. God doesn't grade on the curb. God is perfect, holy, 100% perfect. Nothing can stand before him. Even the modicum of sin cannot stand before this holy, perfect, righteous God. Absolutely. And so even the most, uh, as the Catholics would call it, the venial and mortal sins, all of that before God is an affront to his holiness. Um, And a holy God, an eternally holy God. I think it was the Puritans that used to pray a prayer that the heinousness of sin is not in the nature of the sin that I commit, but in the nature of the God that I sinned against. This perfect, holy God who has zero tolerance for sin. Um, and that's what makes the gospel that much more beautiful. That that God, in order to bring us proximate to him, provided a way to bridge that chasm that exists between us and him. And and pours out his wrath and Christ willingly accepts the wrath. So I want to mm. carry those two balances, right? pulls out the wrath that we deserve on Christ's plate and Christ ate it, ate the plate, cleaned the plate, made sure that you will never have to carry that wrath. So honestly, hell is for people who have said, I don't want that free gift of salvation. Yeah. Um, or, or in the way that C.S. Lewis says it, there are just really only two kinds of people. Um, there are people who say to God, your will be done. And there are people who God look at and say, okay, great, your will be done. Do whatever you want, and the end of that is uh, eternal punishment. So I think it's helpful to couch it that way, that this is about the holiness of God. That shows you uh, how much more beautiful the gospel is, that God will save me, reach down and pull me from that, that uh, the righteous God became one of us, right? The condescension yeah. of God, right? The uh, What is it called? The, the incarnation of God, right? As the Latins will say, verbum incarnatum, right? The, the word becomes flesh and takes on all of our pain, all of our suffering, all of the wrath that we deserve. And then when you look at that and you realize I was destined for that and he gave me himself, that should evoke some sense of joy. Right. And right. Greatness, I think we, right? yeah, the, the, the danger of focusing only on the personal Jesus is mm. to to miss the absolute awe-inspiring nature of the power and presence of God. And you miss out on the personalness of Jesus because you actually forget the power and holiness of God because it makes Jesus and him coming and his personal and his love even more sweeter to think, if you can just think of how many people are in your city, if you've been the largest stadium you've ever been in, that no one's ever going to be able to be in a stadium of a hundred and something thousand again. Like, right? This is what it feels like right now. I know, right? The, 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 the shaking that happens when they scream, right? When their football's, mm. you know, in the air. Mm. Oh, and in those moments I look and I'm like, I am nothing. I am just one speck in this whole entire audience. And Or my friend was like, I was, uh, so he, my friend's a crazy person. I love him to death. He was he was out okay. on the ocean at midnight. Don't say your friend's he name. He was shark. His name's Robbie. He don't care. His name's Robbie. Like and he 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 was out on the beach fishing for sharks and he caught them. They were like they were like big. I mean he got bit. It was dumb. I'm like anyways people do that. Whatever. I'm not trying to. Joke. My point is he goes I was sitting there and I was looking at sand. And he goes 
I don't understand sand at all. You push on it and it stays firm. And yet if you move it, it shifts. If there's water in it, you can get sank. And he's like, I'm blown away. And then I look up and I see the, st- scar- the, s- the stars in the sky. And I'm just like, I am a puny nothing. Like I am nothing. God is so big. God is so vast. God is so good. And sometimes, why do I go on this big, huge tangent? It's a good tangent. Sometimes when we forget about the awe-inspiring holiness, righteousness, and power of God, we can say very small, tiny things like, how could God allow there to be hell? Mm. And, And there's a moment where we need to be checked by the mystery of God, that our tiny human minds would be able to encapsulate all that he is and all that he's doing. But the good news is we have comfort because God has given us his word. And we can find the love and, um, and peace and kindness that he speaks to us, that he has given us ways to understand it. Um, but I, I, um, I don't like the idea of hell, but I haven't been given a choice about what I think about it. God has spoken about it. And so I, I have to continue to then just accept that and pray. Um, it gives me even more fervency to relentlessly pursue one more person for Christ. I kind of went off on a tangent there. But I, I tangent, just want people to be in awe one. of God. I want Amen. to be in awe of God. This is this is big God theology. And yeah. I think a lot of our society, even the words we use, right? We use anthropomorphic words like God is trying to do something. Or God, mm. God really, really wants to do. Let's be clear. If God wants to truly, fully do it, he will do it. He doesn't need our permission. Uh, it's a joy that he's a he's access to accompany him and to work with us and work in us. Um, that's something that we should never take for granted, but um, brother, you said it so well, I just want to end on scripture unless there's something else we want to say. Um, Psalm eight, um, a really good song. And I think it kind of hits on what Robbie hopefully was saying. When I consider your heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon, the stars, how you have ordained them, I think to myself, what is mankind that you would even take a thought of him? Mm. What is man that you would even care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with your majesty and your glory. You make him a ruler of your works of your hands. And you've put him, you've put things under his feet. All sheep and oxen. Also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Mm. Well, folks, I'm going to end there. Um, Hope that sinks in. Um, Our God is majestic. Um, And in the words of um, Albert Einstein, who may have not died an atheist, he said, if I look at the universe and I see the heavens and the planets um, and all of the laws of nature, I say, if there is a God, Christians and those who worship him don't know who they serve. I think we are going to be in awe when we finally get to see him face to face. I'm excited, folks, and I'm also frightened because I get to see one who knows me perfectly. So um, I say that to give you peace in the fact that this pandemic, whatever you're going through, whatever circumstances you may be experiencing is not bigger than God. 
So like the like the 12 Hebrew men, or at least two of them came back and saw giants in the land, but they said, no, our God is bigger. Um, our God is awesome. Our God is able. Our God is willing. And our God is just beyond our imagination.